watching on Facebook Live this morning. Just a few announcements before we get started. There is one more wonderful Wednesday meals left on March 17th. The ministry center doors will open up at 445 and will be done by 615. Pickup is also available from 5 to 6 p.m. at the west door of the ministry center for those who would like to have carryout. The menu this week is tossed salad, lasagna, breadsticks, and cookies. Sounds pretty good. Uh, there'll be a congregational meeting to approve the purchase of a new soundboard and associated items has been rescheduled to Sunday, March 21st, immediately following the morning worship. 
And on Monday, the Monday night women's Bible study, we'll start a new study by Jenny Allen called Get Out of Your Head on Monday, March 22nd at Maria Lammer's house. You can see all the details in the bulletin. Give Maria a call if you have more information or would like to sign up. And on a sad note, on Monday, Reverend Dale Cook, who's the son of our congregation, passed away. Dale was age 90, and he's the brother of Adrian Cook and Grace Henshin Mextroth. So services are going to be online tomorrow at 1130. Now I'd like to invite Tori up to talk about Bible school. Good morning. Well, I have exciting news. We met with the Methodist Church this week, and we are having VBS this year. So I am so excited. Our theme this year is concrete and cranes, so we're going under construction. And um, we're going to be learning, the kids are going to be learning about how to build their lives on the foundation of Christ throughout that week. The dates are June 7th through 11th, so the first full week of June, um, and here at the church. So we're very, very excited. If you would like to help out in any way, teaching, leading an area, um, or just, you know, helping out, being extra hands, that would be awesome. I will start contacting some of the regulars here pretty soon, um, and we're going to start planning this thing, and I'm so excited that we can bring VBS back this year. So if you have any questions, give me a call or shoot me a text. Um, I'm available any way you want to get a hold of me. So, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. The call to worship is taken from Isaiah 43, verses 19 through 21. Let us worship God, who has done great things. We rejoice in our God, who made a way through the desert. Let us worship God, who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. We are the people of God formed through Christ. We worship Him and we rejoice. Let us worship God through spirit and in truth. We praise God for grace and has saved us. Hallelujah. We rejoice.
at this time, I'd like to invite the children to come up for children's chat. talking about the fruit of the spirit and I was kind of thinking that you know since I was reading my Bible and God said you know if we're if we're learning about God and we're getting closer and we're getting closer to God oh that's better um, if we're getting closer to God then we will bear fruit so I got to thinking maybe I should if I if I pretend I'm a tree and I think really really hard Am I going to grow apples? Am I? No? What about grapes? Am I more of a mango person? No? Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's a metaphor then. Because when Jesus was alive, he, he went to places where people knew a lot about farming. They know a lot about farming around here, don't they? So when Jesus told stories, he wanted people to understand it. So when Jesus was talking about people bearing fruit, he was actually talking about kind of a reference to plants because they knew a lot about how plants grow. How do plants grow? Water and sun. You're exactly right. You have to take good care of them and they grow in the sun and you have to water them. What happens if you don't water them? What happens if you don't water a plant? It would be a drought. What happens to it? Does it get all wilty and gross? Yeah, it sure does. So when Jesus was talking about people bearing fruit, he was talking about us like we're plants. Now, if we spend time getting to know Jesus, I'm not going to grow taller and sprout apples. But instead, we'll gain the good qualities that Jesus wants us to have, like kindness, patience, peace, goodness. And the more we know about Jesus, the more others will see him in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our kiddos. Teach us to be more like you. Keep us safe and keep us healthy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Beautiful. Praise God. Well, one of the ways that we watch and we wait is prayer, isn't it? So let's take time this morning and go to the Lord together in prayer. Before we do that, just want to remind you um, about the prayer list in our bulletin. As always, be in prayer for those that are in need this week. Um, and as always, there's uh, this is just a small sample size, I'm sure, of the needs that you are aware of or the needs that you have in your own life or your family. Uh, prayer is certainly one of the ways that we uh, we, we spend time with the Lord and seek Him out, but it's also the way, the way that God has provided for us to love and care for our, our neighbors, right? Is by praying for them and lifting up their concerns to the Lord. So I want to encourage you to do that. This week's offering is to go to support the Barnabas Ministry, which is a ministry that helps support missionaries and pastors who are, who are in the ministry and uh, support them so that they don't burn out. I personally have experienced from this or benefited from being a part of this ministry and and what they do. And it's definitely worthwhile uh, to support pastors and missionaries who are are in the field working and and providing the support that they need to keep going and keep serving the Lord. So any offering today, uh, the offering today goes to support that ministry. And I want to encourage you to give towards it. Um, Also, just want to invite you then to stand and sing our next song. If I can find my bulletin here, I'll tell you what hymn number to turn to. It is uh, number 345, Blessed Assurance. I invite you to stand if you're able and sing that with us. Jesus, we thank you for the assurance that we have in you and in you alone. Lord, our assurance is not in our good works. It's not in who we are or what we're able to do for ourselves. It's in you and in you alone. And we experience that in our relationship with you. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our assurance, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as a, as a deposit, as a seal, guaranteeing that inheritance. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here this morning, everyone who is listening on the radio and all who are watching on Facebook would know and experience that assurance for themselves. 
Lord, it's not about who we are or what we've done. It's about who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, this Lenten season is an opportunity for us to slow down and reflect on that sacrifice, to follow you on your journey to the cross. Lord, you willingly lay down your life so that we may live. You died and, and took on the punishment that we deserved. And in, and in replacement of that, Lord, in, in exchange of that, we receive your righteousness. Your perfect obedience is applied to us. Lord, we don't deserve it, but by faith we, we receive it and with, with thanksgiving and praise and, and glory and honor to you, Lord, for what you've done. And Lord, it's because of that assurance, it's because of that hope that we have, we can come to you and, and lift up our concerns. You are a, a good father who cares about your children. And so we, we entrust ourselves to you, Lord, and we ask that your will would be done in our lives and in our families and our church and our community, our nation and our world. Lord, we trust that your will is what's best for us, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, Lord, even when we don't understand it or we don't know what that may look like day to day for us, we still entrust ourselves to you because we trust you and trust that your will is what's best for us. And so for the names that are represented in our prayer list and in the situations that they represent, we ask that your will would be done and that you would heal, you would provide, you would mend relationships, Lord, and that you would provide both materially and spiritually, Lord, in each of those situations. We do pray for Barnabas ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to work through that ministry to encourage and support pastors and missionaries. And we pray, Lord, that all who are a part of that ministry would be blessed, Lord, by the offering that we are able to collect today. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And, just, and we pray as he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other.
Thank you, Maria. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And again, thank you for the opportunity to gather as your body here in this place to worship you and to lift up our concerns to you in prayer. And now, of course, to open your word and study it together. I pray that as we do so this morning, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would give me words to speak, and you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Lord, may the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So a couple things I want to I want to just share with you before or one thing I want to just point out here before we get started in the sermon. Uh, good job keeping your clock set ahead for daylight savings time today and and noticing, you know, your bright shining faces are especially highlighted by the sun shining in through that back stained glass window. I can always tell when we when we shift uh, for the clocks because that sun just shines brightly into the sanctuary here and it's a beautiful sight and it's good to see everyone here this morning uh, for those that may have forgotten to, to change their clocks for, just wave at them as you're exiting the sanctuary today as they're coming in. Uh, might see a few people straggling in later. It's like when we, uh, when we were meeting at 1015 for a while during the pandemic and things were shut down and during the summer, and we just kind of switched things up and we're meeting at 1015. That first Sunday we switched back to nine. I think there was a few people that, that were kind of straggling in here as, as we were exiting the sanctuary. So you never know, the same might happen today, but, uh, but, Daylight savings time is, is fun and it's an opportunity to enjoy the sunshine a little bit more. And speaking of that, it's been nice to see some of this nicer spring weather starting to, to roll in here. One of the advantages of this, of the warmer temperatures is that I get to walk my kids to school in the morning. Well, walk Josephine to school, but Miles obviously tags along with us. Um, so we've been enjoying that, dropping Josephine off in the morning. And, and one thing I've noticed is, is as we get there and as we drop Josephine off, Miles' eyes always go right to the playground every single time and he just stares at it and he wants to go play and I tell him well not right now you know kids are at school we got to get you to the babysitters but he's always wanting to go and play on the playground the other day Josephine had a cheerleading clinic at the school and so we we went there and she had to get there early and so I we thought this is a perfect opportunity so Allie went in with Josephine I went with Miles and we went and played on the playground for a little bit and he was just loving it and one thing I notice about playgrounds these days is they're a little bit more safety oriented than the playgrounds that I played on when I was a kid. Um, they have these teeter totters that are at the playground and they have these rubber tires underneath them. So you can't, you know, you can't go too hard or too far with these teeter totters. But when I was a kid, those rubber tires weren't there, right? There was basically just a long wooden plank, you know, on this bar and you just went for it back and forth and back and forth. One of, one of the things we always used to do is we call it a cherry bomb. And I don't know if that's something we just made up or if this is a common thing, but, but we get on the teeter-totter and we go as fast as we could. And then every once in a while, the kid who was going down wouldn't stop himself, right? Usually you brace yourself with your legs and push back up. They just let the teeter-totter hit the ground as hard as you could. The effect was that the person on the other side could possibly get launched off the teeter-totter, right, go in the other direction because they would stop suddenly or the teeter-totter would stop suddenly and the kid would go flying off, right? Um, There's a reason those rubber tires are there now. Uh, And I got thinking about that, you know, that teeter-totter, that back and forth, right? Um, We're going to be looking at a passage in Galatians today, Galatians chapter 5, which focuses on the freedom that we have in Christ. And if you've been following along with our sermons the last few Sundays, you know, we've been talking a lot about works righteousness, right? Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians to push back against this idea of works righteousness, this idea that you have to earn your own salvation, that you have to save yourself by your good behavior and by your good works, right? So, so there were, there were, uh, uh, formerly Jewish Christians, right, that were traveling to Galatia and they were trying, they were teaching the members of this church that you had to start living like a Jewish person, following all the customs, following all the laws in order to experience salvation in Christ. And so Paul's pushing back against this. He says that you don't have to add more rules. You don't have to add more regulations. You don't have to fulfill the law of Moses in order to be saved because Christ did that for you, right? Christ became the fulfillment of the law for us, both in obedience and in his death. He took on the punishment of the law so that we don't have to. So for four chapters now, Paul has been establishing this point that that it's not through our good behavior. It's not through works that we're saved. It's only by faith. But the danger is that we may sometimes push the pendulum too far to the other direction or 
the teeter-totter may swing too far the other direction and you might get bucked off if you're not careful. What's the opposite of, of works righteousness and trying to earn your way into God's favor? Right? It's, that, it's just the complete, completely ignoring the law and behavior completely and, and indulging in a life of sin. So you can almost tell here, you know, Paul is, is, is aware of this argument. He's bracing for that. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right? So that's his first point. Right? We have freedom in Christ. We no longer have to, we're no longer burdened by the expectations of the law because Christ has fulfilled that for us. He set us free so we don't, we don't need to submit ourselves to that law once again. Jesus set us free from the rat race of trying to earn our place in God's family. And so we're children of God by faith, not by works. And so he's telling them, don't go back to the old way of doing things by submitting yourselves to the law again. But then you can, as I said, you can almost hear Paul's opponents building up their argument, right? If you reject the law, it'll just lead to chaos. If you reject the law, then people will use their newfound freedom to sin and only think of themselves. But that's a false claim, isn't it? The answer to works righteousness, right? The, natu- the, the correct response to that is not just living a life of sin. Look at what Paul says in, in 5 verses 13 through 15, the start of our passage today. Paul says, yeah, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. Right? Notice what Paul is saying here. He says, yes, we've been set free in Christ. We no longer are, have to live according to the law in order to earn your salvation. But Paul also says that we shouldn't use that freedom for our own purposes, right? To indulge our sinful nature. We'll talk a little bit in just a few minutes about what it means to gratify the flesh or live according to the flesh. But for now, let's follow Paul, Paul's logic here, right? His opponents argue that there are only two ways to go about this. Either you, you earn your way into God's good graces through obedience to the law, or you buck any sort of structure completely and just live a sinful life to your own pleasure, for your own desires, according to your own wants, Right? But when you reject the law in favor of indulging the flesh and your sinful desires, the focus is on yourself and your bad behavior. When you, when you try to earn your way into God's good graces to your obedience, your focus is still on yourself and your good behavior. Right? In both of those cases, either, either submitting yourself to the law or completely ignoring it for your, own, for your own purposes, the focus is still on yourself. It's just different ends of the spectrum. And both of those perspectives ultimately reject God's grace, either in blatant, obvious ways, if you're indulging the sinful side of your, of your desires, or in a more insidious way by trying to earn God's grace yourself. But Paul says that's not the way it has to be. There's a third way. And he says that, he defines that by living according to the Spirit. It takes the focus off ourselves. And puts it on God where it belongs. Right? Paul says, don't use this freedom selfishly. Don't use it for yourself. Don't use it for your own advantage. Instead, use your freedom to serve Christ and to serve others. Right? It's actually very similar to what Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2, a very famous passage, where, where Paul is describing what it meant for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to become like one of us. And, and Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus even though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Right? Paul's saying the same thing here. We have freedom in Christ. We've been set free from the rat race of trying to earn our own salvation. But don't use that freedom for your own advantage. Don't use it just to indulge your sinful desires. Use it to love God and love others the way that you were created to do. Self-centeredness ultimately leads to division and strife. Selfless love... And service builds one another up. Notice what Paul says here, right? It, it's, he says, it's, he's not saying that the law doesn't matter. What he's saying is that the law is fulfilled when we learn to love each other the way that, the way that we would love ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
When you do that, when you truly learn to do that, you are, you are fulfilling the law. And Paul spends the rest of this passage talking about this, this struggle between, between the Spirit and the flesh, right? Trying to live according to God's Holy Spirit and rejecting the desires of the flesh. And he uses this metaphor, walk. He says in verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? To walk is a common metaphor to talk about a way of life. Right? Think about life as a journey that you're on, and you're walking down the path. Right? We're walking through this journey of life. It's a common metaphor used in both the Old and New Testament to describe a, a perspective and a way of living, right? a way of going about your business. And so he says we should walk, we should live according to the Spirit. It's an ongoing way of life, an ongoing lifestyle. And so the way of, of the Spirit is, is, we'll get to that in a moment, but, but here he digs in to describe what, what he means by flesh. And Paul uses the word flesh not to describe just the physical self, right? He uses flesh as a metaphor to describe our sinful nature, our desires, our, our acts of disobedience towards God and His will. Right? He's, not, he's talking about when you live according to the flesh, you're living completely outside of God's will and apart from the guiding influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's important here to point out, right? We're talking about ways of life, not just one-off mistakes, right? Not just, not just that those, those tendencies we have to maybe fall short of God's glory, as it says we all do. Paul here is talking about a way of life, a consistent perspective on how we carry ourselves in the, in, in the direction our lives are going. He's talking about living according to the Spirit and heading in that direction, or living according to the flesh and heading in a completely opposite direction. And that's why he says the Spirit and the flesh are, are naturally opposed to one another. To live according to the Spirit is to reject our sinful nature. To indulge the sinful desires of the flesh is ultimately to reject the Spirit. Right? You see how they, they're opposites there? To live according to one is to reject the other. And there's no other way about it. You can't have your feet on both sides of the fence. Right? If, if life is a, if it's a journey, if, if walking is the metaphor, you can't walk in two directions at once. Right? It's physically impossible. You either, you gotta pick a direction and go with it. So we have to either choose to live according to the Spirit or live according to the flesh. Jesus pretty much says the same thing talking about money in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? Just take money out of there and replace whatever idol, whatever desire is, is your soft spot. Right? So maybe it's not money, but it's uh, but it's something else. It's power. It's acceptance. It's people pleasing. Right? Maybe it's maybe it's lustful thoughts or other sorts of, of of temptations. Right? You can't serve both God and those other idols. You have to choose one or the other. But notice too what Paul is saying here: the way to avoid indulging your sinful nature is by walking according to the Spirit. Right? If you want to be better at battling temptation, if you want to be better at, at living for God and not yourself, the way to do that is not to focus on yourself, it's to focus on God. The battle against sin is not won by, by, by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying to follow the law of Moses the best that we can. Laws, rules, and regulations do not and cannot change the human heart and our motivations. Right? No matter how many laws we put in front of us, no matter how many rules or restrictions are there, it's never going to change our heart. Right? If that were the case, then we could legislate morality. Right? We could, we could pass laws that say, don't do this, and the problem would be solved. But look at the world we live in today. Right? We have laws, we have regulations in place, right? yet we still see people breaking the law all the time. Right? So let, we can't, you know, just because we have laws in the books that say do not murder or do not steal doesn't mean those things stop happening. Because laws cannot change a person's heart. So we can't, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna win the battle against sin by just, by just submitting ourselves more and more to laws and rules and regulations. The laws make us aware of our sin, 
but they're not going to win the battle for us. To win the battle, we must walk according to the Spirit. And that comes through surrender, right? That comes through submitting ourselves to God and in a relationship with Him, being led by the Spirit, not through sheer determination of will. The key to winning the battle against sin is recognizing that you can't win the battle on your own. You must rely fully on your relationship with God through the Holy Spirit in your life. Think of Jesus in the wilderness, right? Scripture clearly teaches us that Jesus faced temptation himself. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that he's faced every temptation which is common to man, except he did not sin, right? And we see that in in the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew and Luke chapter 4. Jesus is led there by the Holy Spirit. And every time the devil tempts him, every time a temptation is put in front of him, Jesus responds by quoting Scripture, by being grounded in the Word. Think about that. Right? The Son of God in the flesh, right, in human form, when he was tempted, right, was, was always responding by quoting Scripture. That must be a preventative measure in our own lives as well. We can't wait until we're in the middle of a struggle to decide what to do. We need to ground ourselves in a relationship with God and and, in knowing His Word and seeking guidance from His Holy Spirit so that when we do face temptation, because we all do and we all will, you can respond the way that Jesus did. Right? By responding to temptation, by being grounded in God's Word. That's what it means to to walk by the Spirit. So that those two natures, right, they're in opposition. And we needed to choose which one of those that we are going to allow, like be the focus of our lives. Paul spends the next few verses, 19 through 20, describing what the acts of the flesh are. He says they're obvious, right? They're evident. They're clearly seen. And none of us really need to be, you know, we, we, we know what that looks like. And those things should be obvious. It should be obvious what is sinful and what is outside of God's will and character and commands. But the lines between good and evil are being blurred, right, more and more by our increasingly secular culture. Society is always changing, right? It's always evolving. And what was considered right and good and correct, or excuse me, what was considered wrong 50 years ago is now celebrated as being good and right. And what is considered correct now will probably be considered wrong 50 years from now, right? Our culture is always shaping and evolving based on the opinions of, of people, right? And those things always change. So we can't allow the world, society as a whole, or popular opinion to decide what is right and what is wrong for us because that opinion will always change. But take comfort in knowing that this is not a new problem. If you look back at Isaiah chapter 50, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, God's people have been struggling with this problem all along. The prophet Isaiah says in verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right? That temptation to, to call good evil and evil good is not a new one. Right? It's, it's one that's been there uh, you know, thousands of years ago when Isaiah was first writing that passage. But there's two observations I want to make, though, about this list that Paul has here about what the the works of the flesh look like. First of all, there's a lot of things listed here, but it's certainly not exhaustive. Right. Paul isn't trying to list every sort of sin right in this list. He's giving us examples. So don't skim over that list and think, well, I'm good. Don't worry about it. Right. Because because your specific sin or your specific temptation might not be on that list, but that doesn't mean it's not a sin or a temptation, right? It's, he covers a lot of bases here, but it's certainly not exhaustive. And the second, this list, notice how this list covers both attitudes and actions, right? There's some items on this list that are obvious, right? That are external sort of sins that, that you see in people's lives or you see in your own life and you, you know those things are wrong, right? But there's also things listed there that are, that are more hidden. They're more internal They're more insidious because we can hide them from other people. Paul mentions um, some of these things like idolatry, right? We may not be brandishing our idols 
out in the open, but we certainly struggle with it in our own heart. Hatred, jealousy, selfish ambition. Those things maybe aren't so obvious, but they're still there. They're still sins that people struggle with. And they're just as bad or just as dangerous as those other sins that are maybe more obvious. There's a lesson here, right? It's possible to avoid the big ticket sins and yet still struggle with those more internal ones that are easy to hide from other people. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs, right? Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew 23 through 20, excuse me, 23, 27 through 28. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness, right? So, so. Don't look at yourself and think, well, I'm good. I haven't, I I don't have any of those big ticket sins in my own life, right? We can be struggling with something just as real, just as insidious on the inside. And God is aware of those things too. So we need to be careful, not just of our external behavior, but also our internal motivations and positions of the heart. Because all of those things, he says, whether it's external or internal, he says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's talked about the negative side, about what it looks like to live according to the flesh. What about what it looks like to live according to the Spirit? He describes these as fruit. Nikki did a wonderful job talking about the fruit of the Spirit during the children's chat, right? Uh, He lists them here. He says, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? And I think Paul uses the word fruit here very intentionally because fruit cannot grow simply by our human effort, right? And it, it indicates that these fruit, these characteristics are, are something that God produces and grows in you, right? We grow nat- they grow naturally over time as they're connected to the source, right? Who's the source? Jesus. Right? As we stay connected to him, those fruit will begin to grow naturally in our lives. They're the natural byproduct of a living in a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And it's dependent on our relationship with him, not our circumstances. Right? We don't, don't tell yourself, well, I would be more loving or I would be more patient or I would be more kind, but you wouldn't believe the kind of people I have to deal with. Right? That's not what what's saying here. Those those fruit are not dependent on our circumstances. They're dependent on a relationship with God, which means you can and should be loving and kind and patient and peaceful no matter what circumstances you face. And if you really think about the fruit, right, and think about what those represent, some of those can really only happen in difficult situations, right? You can't really be patient unless you have something that is bugging you that you need to be patient about. Right? You can't truly experience peace unless there's some sort of conflict or disruption that you can experience peace about. Does that make sense? So sometimes you can't experience them to their fullness unless you go through difficult circumstances. Notice here too that the fruit is singular, not plural. I always catch myself calling them fruits of the Spirit. But notice Paul says they are the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It's one which means that these are all or nothing. God wants to see all of these characteristics in your life, not just the ones that are convenient or easy for you. Right? It's, this isn't a list that you can look at and say, well, I'm going to be loving and I'm going to be kind, but that patience is really hard and I'm just going to ignore that one. No, this is, this is all or nothing. God wants to see all of this in our life, not just what's easy and convenient. And ultimately, the fruit of the Spirit is about Christ-likeness. The more the fruit is evident in your life, the more Christ-like you will become. God's love for us in Christ fills us with God's Spirit, who then enables us to experience the fruit in our lives, which, then ena- which, which, we can, which enables us then to live and love others the way that Christ loved us. See, that's the key there, isn't it? To to truly love God, we need to be connected to the source. To truly love others, we need to be connected to that source. To allow that fruit to grow and develop in our lives. The Spirit-led life isn't about you becoming a better person in your own power. It's about submitting yourself to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. 
right? So that God's love, God's peace, God's patience, etc., can flow in you and through you to others, right? It's not about you becoming a better person. It's not about you, by sheer force of will and determination, seeing these characteristics come up in your life. It's about being connected to God through his Holy Spirit and allowing those characteristics to, to grow and develop in you so that you can experience them for yourself. And it's a process that takes time, right? We can all, I think we can all agree that we don't become Christ-like overnight, right? It's something that we need to work, excuse me, not we need to work on, but that God works on in us over time. And he will carry it out to completion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's a key phrase there, right? Ever-increasing glory, which means that today and the next day and the next day, right, if we are walking by the Spirit and seeking him out, we'll become more like Jesus as time goes on. Not by our own will, but by the Spirit working in us and developing and growing that fruit. Sounds pretty passive, though, doesn't it? Sounds like, all right, well, where's, where, do, where does my part come in? Where, what part do I play in all this? Well, that's where these last verses come in. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified, with the, flesh, crucified the flesh with its passions and, and desires. And then in 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking and envying each other. God is at work in you. The Holy Spirit is present in every born-again believer, growing, developing, and nurturing that fruit. But we're called, our responsibility is to keep in step with Him. Now, I'm no musician, and, and I don't even know if I want to look over there in that direction, because I don't want to get weird looks if I say something wrong here, right? But when you're tuning an instrument, right, you need a standard note, right, to, to be able to compare your instrument against, Right, whether it's a pitch pipe or tuning fork, something like that. There needs to be a standard, a clear-cut standard that the other instruments can then tune to. Right? Right? Yeah. Okay, good. You need that standard so that way you can, you can be in tune with each other and the other instruments. Right? But the way that happens is by keeping in tune and, and, and syncing yourself with that standard. We used to play a game when I was a kid called Telephone, right? Where you'd start with a message and you'd whisper it to a bunch of different people. And then you'd compare what the first person said with what the last person heard. And sometimes those things were wildly different because as, as it goes each step of the chain, as that message is whispered from one person to the next, it gets, there's something that's always lost in translation, Right, the further you got from the source, the further you got from the starting point, the worse that message got. Right, the further from the the the, uh, the further from the truth it was. Well, that's the way we need to be with Christ. We need to stay close to the source. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to stay in tune, and we do that by by developing and growing our relationship with Him by reading His Word by letting it soak in, letting it become a part of you. In John 15, Jesus described our relationship with him as as like vine and branches, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And he says that when we remain in him, when we abide in him, that's when we produce fruit. We want to be more Christ-like, want to see love and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, all those things in your life. Remain in Jesus. Know Him as Savior and Lord. Invest in your relationship with Him, and those things will naturally develop in your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank You that You do work in us and through us to make us more like You. It's not something we can do by ourselves because because we would always fall short. And so we ask that you You would indwell us with Your Holy Spirit. And develop this fruit in our lives so that we may be more like you each and every day. Lord, we need you. And we ask you to help us in this area. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Let's stand and let's sing our closing song together. Lord, I need you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.